Hello, this is the first of our new series of home group and uh, midweek studies. There'll be a study guide to accompany these studies as normal and they can be used in home groups or for personal study depending on your home group leaders and the plans that you have. So we're looking at Galatians chapter 2 and we're focusing on Galatians 2 verse 20 over these weeks and we're going to read Galatians 2 verse 15 to 21 for this study. Galatians 2 verse 15 We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because by the works of the law no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For though the law, through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live for God, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we start these new studies, Lord, in Galatians, we pray, Lord God, that you would speak to us by your Spirit. Lord, we ask that you would bring out truths that maybe we hadn't seen before, that you'd remind us of things that we need to grasp and Father that you would help us to live in the light of them and we thank you Lord for this wonderful passage which talks about how the Lord Jesus gave his life for us the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us and we just want to thank you Lord for that wonderful truth so we pray in Jesus name now that you'd help us Amen Galatians 2 verse 20 says I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Well, we're going to go through this verse bit by bit. So we're going to start with the first part of the sentence, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Well, we're going to start with the first heading, and that is the hopeless struggle, which sounds a very pessimistic place to start with but it leads on to something wonderful. No one can be justified or be right with God through the works of the law. Many people believed you could, and still do, that if you do well enough and consistently enough at obeying the rules, well, that's what most religions are based on. People believe that if you, if you do that consistently enough, you can, by the works of the law, whatever laws there are in a particular religion, that that is the way to be right with God. But Christians distinctively, on the other hand, have put their faith in Jesus in order to be justified before God. In other words, we cease trusting in our own attempts at righteousness and trust instead in the righteousness of Jesus. In Galatians 2 verse 15 it said, We who are Jews by birth are not sinful Gentiles, and, and Paul there was emphasizing the uh, kind of stereotype that Jews had of, 
of uh, Gentiles there, um, with almost tongue in cheek. Um, he says, "We are Jews by birth are not sinful Gentiles. Know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ." So we, too, have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law no one will be justified. When a person becomes a Christian, they cease from their own attempts at self-righteousness and trust in the righteousness of Jesus. Now, imagine that you owe a great deal of money and you can never pay it back, but you stubbornly keep on trying but you'll never make it. You may even beg, borrow or steal to try to pay off the debt, but you'll get into more and more debt and into trouble too. It's a hopeless task. But if someone rich comes along and says, leave your life of begging and borrowing and stealing and just accept my gift and all your debts will, will be paid. Well, of course, if that is on offer, you have a great answer and a great alternative. And that's like becoming a Christian. You trust the one and the only one who can pay off the debt. But of course, if you're not willing to believe in Jesus, if you're too stubborn to accept his gift, then you'll carry on trying to pay off the original debt yourself. But it's hopeless. It's hopeless if you do nothing, and it's hopeless if you carry on trying to pay it off with all your efforts. Now, the people that Paul is debating with in this passage are those who are not accepting Jesus. They're still putting their faith in their efforts to keep the Old Testament law and any man-made rule that, that seems to give them the edge on being religious. And this was the big issue that was of deep concern for the, to the Galatian churches and, of course, Paul, as he was caring for them as a, a pastor, as an apostle. And there were people coming along teaching that to be a Christian, you still need to keep the Old Testament as a way of justifying yourself before God. And this was the confusion that was being injected into the, into the Galatian churches which had heard the gospel from Paul and his colleagues that we are justified by faith in Christ. So it's a hopeless task to try to justify ourselves through obeying the law. We can't do it. The second, second heading is dying to live. Paul was once the self-righteous Jewish Pharisee he knows all about this trying to keep the law, but something happened in his life. His relationship to the Old Testament law radically changed, and he describes it as dying. In verse 19 of Galatians 2, he says that through the law, he died to the law. Now, a proper understanding of the law results in the realization that it is impossible to keep it perfectly. And it's important to note that the Old Testament law was meant to be a way of life, a target to aim at, but it was not meant to be a way of salvation in itself. It couldn't have been. The law gave the Israelites a glimpse of the holiness of God. It gave them a taste of heavenly living on earth. It gave them a way of being the distinct nation, distinctive nation of Israel in a pagan world. But it also served to reveal the sinfulness in the human heart kind of a measuring stick. It revealed that the falling short of all people and the need to be forgiven, that we can't be saved through keeping law, but we, we need forgiveness. And through the Old Testament sacrificial system, the law itself, because the law included that sacrificial system, 
the law ultimately pointed us to our need for God's lamb to bear our punishment. And that reminds us of when Jesus started his ministry, John the Baptist makes a great announcement about Jesus. In John, John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 29, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus died about three years later on from that announcement. It was the day of the, the Passover lambs when they were being killed in Jerusalem. The lambs had to be in excellent condition, with no impurities. And their purity enabled them to be the symbols of innocent sufferers dying to pay for the sins of the guilty people. And as Jesus died on the cross, his true innocence, his perfect righteousness, his absolute obedience, his true humanness, as well as his true godness, made him perfectly qualified to take on himself the punishment that our sins deserved thinking of the illustration of the, the rich benefactor who comes to pay off our debts, Jesus had perfect and limitless credit. He paid for our debts and was able to credit our accounts with his perfect and limitless credit. So what is the Christian attitude to obeying the law? As Paul said, the law was actually a means of, of death to him. Verse 19, For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live for God. Now again, the Old Testament rules for a Jew were meant to be a way of living that was excellent to aim at, but it was not meant to be a way of salvation. It couldn't be. So let's recap. A proper understanding of the law meant that you realise you can't keep it. God's holiness is too great for me to achieve it, therefore I need to trust God's provision of a lamb who would die in my place. That's the proper understanding of the law. Law itself was a means of revealing our spiritual condition, our spiritual deadness, so that we would turn to God's Saviour, and that is Jesus, the promised Messiah, the Lamb of God. So let's read Paul's testimony in Romans chapter 7, verse 7 to 10. Remember, Paul was the strict Jewish Pharisee. He was brought up with this idea that if he was to obey the law well enough, consistently enough, that he would be acceptable that he would justify himself before God. But what does he say in Romans 7, 7 to 10? What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. So in Paul's own experience, as a strict Pharisee, he had put his faith in his law-keeping to make him right with God. And although the law was everything to him, he hadn't actually grasped its intention. He thought that he was alive to God by seeking to obey the law. But the purpose of the law hadn't clicked yet. It hadn't kicked in, even though he knew it all by heart. But then at some point in his journey, one particular command, do not covet, struck him. And at that point, the law kicked in. He understood it. It clicked. 
It was the Holy Spirit's work, of course. Now, something that could, in theory, if kept perfectly, bring eternal life, Paul now understands the reality. He understands the purpose of the law. Do not covet convicted him of his utter sinfulness and even provoked more sinful rebellion in his heart. Even though he appeared to be the righteous man to, to, to his peers, respectable Pharisee, inside he was coveting what others were or did. And the law, when it kicked in in this way, when it clicked with him, the law revealed to him that he was spiritually dead and rotten. So what he thought was going to bring him life actually brought death and revealed his spiritual deadness. Again, Romans 7 verse 9. Once I was alive apart from the law, apart from it kicking in, the law kicking in and clicking with him. But when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. Now it's possible that this conviction was something that Paul battled with. He resisted it and he, he took it out on the Christians. He was kicking against the conviction in his heart and he persecuted those who believed in Jesus. He was so angry. But on that day when he met the Lord on the road to Damascus and he was challenged, he couldn't run or resist or kick against the goads anymore. He accepted and submitted that Jesus of Nazareth was the one, the righteous one, that he needed to trust. So in one sense, he died. Jesus was and is Lord and Messiah. Jesus is the Lamb of God who died to take away Paul's sins. And on the day of his conversion, Paul died to living by faith in his works of the law. He became a Christian only trusting in Jesus for his righteousness. Going back to Galatians chapter 2, verse 19. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live for God. The law brought to light his spiritual death, so that now he is not relying on himself, but now he is truly living for God in God's way. Verse 19 again. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live for God. Now, Christians have accepted that they cannot be saved by their efforts at keeping the law. They have submitted to that truth, to that reality. They have died to law keeping in that manner. So now let's come back to our key verse for today. Under the third heading, crucified with Christ. Crucified with Christ. So Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Now this means that in some sense Christians are linked with the death of Jesus. Our lives now are bound up with the death of Jesus. When he died on the cross as a real human being, he took on Paul's sins. He took on your sins. He took on my sins. He was dying as our representative, a punishment that we should have suffered. And more than that, when Jesus died, Paul died, you died, I died in a legal sense. Jesus took on our guilty identity on the cross there. And that guilty identity was crucified with him, punished with him and in him. The guilty and corrupt Paul, you and I, is now dead. We died with Jesus. 
Now imagine a prison wing with people on death row. The law has convicted and the law has condemned these, these people. But imagine the judge coming along, the judge who sentenced them. He comes along and he gets into the electric chair and he holds there in his hand all the sentencing details of, of each of the criminals, all their records. And as the innocent man, the judge there, suffers and dies, all the records of the guilty people are burned up once and for all. Their lives summed up by those records of guilt are now gone. The punishment has been taken on their behalf. Their old lives are dead. They died along with a sacrificial judge. I have been crucified with Christ. And I, my old sinful self, no longer lives. The once guilty inmates are now free citizens to leave the prison and to live new pardoned lives. And as we'll see in future studies, this amazing sacrifice of the Lord in our place is even more than a legal exchange. There's a spiritual life union as well. Our verse goes on to say, Christ lives in me. When we think about Jesus, our Saviour, we can see how he deliberately became human, not only to identify with us, but to live the life that we could not live. In John's Gospel, first chapter, it says, The Word of God, the Word became flesh and lived amongst us. Jesus lived as one of us, God, in human form. We could, we could never keep all God's law, not in letter nor in spirit. But Jesus, as our representative, did and kept it to the full and beyond. And that means that he was totally qualified to be the innocent and perfect sacrifice to die in our place. At the baptism of Jesus in Luke chapter 3, verse 21, all the people there were being baptised by John the Baptist and Jesus was baptised too. Jesus identified himself with, with us hum, human beings as he was baptised along with many others. And then it says, as he was praying, as Jesus was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Jesus was the judge that came to take the penalty on himself and he suffered the execution in our place. We see a picture in the Barabbas exchange. You know when Barabbas was exchanged for Jesus, when Pilate offered Jesus to be set free, the people called for Barabbas. But in effect what happened was a living prophecy of what Jesus was about to do. The innocent suffering and the guilty going free. We see how that Jesus was dying between two criminals and the Son of God dying the death of a criminal to save those men. One believed, one trusted in the righteousness of Jesus and he went that day to be with him in paradise. The other was lost because he continued to try to justify himself, shown in the way even on the cross he mocked Jesus and looked down upon Jesus. So now Christians, believers in Jesus, we are free from the hopeless striving to justify ourselves by trying to fulfill the law's requirements. We've seen that we, we died to the law and instead we accept the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. We don't believe in ourselves, but we trust in Jesus and in his righteousness. So 
The application of that is that we need to accept our death to self-justification. We are dead to anxious striving to be justified by our own efforts. We need to accept that Jesus is our righteousness and submit to our death and begin to really live. We've also seen how that we died with Jesus. Legally, our old guilty self is now dead and gone. And when God looks at Christians, he doesn't see the old guilty person anymore. He sees a person who looks just like his son. Now, we hate what we've done to dishonor our Lord, don't we? We hate our behavior and our attitudes that are not in line with his loveliness. But we need to believe, we need to accept how God now sees us. We were crucified with Christ, our old nature is dead and gone, and now Christ lives in us, in you, in me. So let's accept God's view of ourselves. Accept God's view of yourself. Not as the guilty sinner, but as the child that he loves. God sees Jesus in you. And just as he loves his son, he loves you. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we've been reminded of, of wonderful, beautiful truths. Lord, we have been reminded that we need to accept that we cannot justify ourselves. Lord, help us to die to the attitude of self-justification. Help us to see that Jesus only is our righteousness. Help us Lord, to recognize that we have been crucified with Christ, that Jesus took on himself our old, guilty selves. And now they're dead and gone. In Christ, they've been punished, and therefore there's no punishment left. We're free to leave the prison, free to really live, to live for God. Lord, our old, sinful selves have been crucified with Christ, and now Christ lives in us and Lord Jesus we thank you that when God the Father looks upon us when he looks upon me he doesn't see anymore that sinful person but he sees yourself thank you Lord and Heavenly Father how you mentioned about your son that he pleased, pleased you well pleased you and that you love him Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you love us in the, with the same kind of love that you love your Son. And we praise you. We're amazed at that. And we give you thanks. Help us to live in the light of these truths. In your Son's precious name. Amen.